for coming back to OMN's Coffee Shop Conversations. I'm Tom D'Antoni, and as always, we're at World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason in Portland. We were all scared to some degree when the Columbia Gorge was set on fire, some to a larger degree than others. In the coffee shop with me is Billy Oskey, who lives in Corbett. His famed recording studio, Big Red Studio, as well as his home, were within a few miles of the Eagle Creek Fire. Can you imagine what that must have been like? You don't have to, because Billy is here to let us know. We know the end of the story. The courageous firefighters did their job, but so did the rain and the winds. What did he do when he got an evacuation warning? And how are things now? Let's meet Billy Oski. Welcome to the Cupping Room here at World Cup Coffee and Tea, our home for Oregon Music News, Coffee Shop Conversations. Glad you could make it. And what kind of room did you call it? It's the Cupping Room. That's Coffee Shop Talk. I didn't know that kind of talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It um, has to do with coffee and coffee cups. Okay. And, and testing coffee, I believe. Uh, let's see. Uh, 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 I don't know. Coffee tasting. Something like that. I actually had a, had a barista in here a couple okay. of years ago to explain it, but I can't remember it. It's okay. <laughs> well, good. I thought we were going to talk about music, but we could talk about coffee. It's no, fun. I don't want to talk about coffee. Everybody, talk, everybody talks about coffee. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, it's nice to see you, Tom. <laughs> you too. So is, is, is the scare over? Are you okay? Uh, we are. The fire is still actually going. It's uh, about five miles east of Cascade Locks right now. Uh, but it's uh, 46% contained, and with the change of the season and with some rains, uh, they feel that we are safe on the west side mm. of the fire. But it was a very scary uh, incident. So how did it develop? What was the first, your first, you know, when did well, you first Well, I was out it? to the coast uh, for Labor Day weekend uh-huh. on uh, Saturday and Sunday. Sunday I was coming back. It was the uh, 3rd. And on the second, I had heard that a fire had started in um, Eagle Creek mm-hmm. with uh, likely some kids with fireworks. And so I was listening as I was coming back from the coast on the third, and it said that the fire was had gotten out of control. And by the fourth, which was the Monday, the Labor Day, I'm at home, and they gave us evacuation uh, level number one, so they get ready. So we started thinking, what would we do if we had to evacuate? Yeah. And uh, the east winds kicked in, and the fire had started uh, just by Eagle Creek, which is near uh, Cascade Locks. How far away from... from, uh, Well, that was about 16 miles or so, Uh and it traveled like 11 miles in one day toward us. And uh, by Monday, we're finally... uh, We stayed up all night packing things, uh, pictures and uh, genealogy Uh files and receipts for the tax man, that kind of thing. And then I'm thinking, what goes from the studio and what doesn't? I I can't pack a uh, 600-pound 24-track tape recorder, and I can't pack uh, a wonderful grand piano. But what can I take out of there uh, if we get evacuation notice? 
Uh, Tuesday, smoke was coming in big billows like clouds right onto our property. It was almost choking. Our eyes would sting. And so we loaded one Astro van uh, from the studio. I took uh, the new Pro Tools out- outfit or rig that I yeah. have and a mm-hmm. uh, few almost priceless microphones. Yeah. And uh, we packed up the van and drove it to Gresham uh, to park it at a friend's house and uh, then sort of waited. And then I Where was, did you wait? Uh, right at home because oh, we yeah. hadn't gotten our evacuated. It said yeah. we had to be ready yeah. at a moment's notice. And yeah. we had uh, several friends who were closer to the fire, uh, some that were within a half a mile of the flames. And they were given, uh, one of them was given like, uh, they said, 15 minutes, you're out of here when, uh, for evacuation. So we wanted to be ready, and we were. Uh, and we sent our two kitty cats uh, to stay in Portland, one of which escaped. And so by Wednesday morning, you know, I was a wreck. I was, it escaped? It escaped in Portland when it went to the house that was supposed to be sheltering oh, it. no. Uh, luckily came back later in the day, but uh, it, that on top of the fact that the flames were still raging out of control and going toward us was uh, Wednesday morning was sort of the nadir of uh, the incident. Then weather turned. The east wind died down and it got much more calm. How, how close did it get? Uh, about four and a half miles. Oh from us and we have trees all around our house and i'm looking at uh satellite views of where the the fire would actually have to go because there were some fields north of us that might uh, serve as a fire break but the fact that the fire had jumped the columbia river like two miles across to archer mountain and started a a hundred acre fire which luckily was contained in a couple days but uh, they had an amazing crew of firefighters, and while the whole incident was happening, and it was nine days that the studio was shut down uh, before we could actually load back into the house. During that time, I studied a whole lot of how do wildfires get fought, uh-huh. what kind of equipment. Uh, I went to meetings, uh, met these people that were... Uh, brought in the different kinds of teams, like teams of hot shots, which are teams of 20 people who by hand with axes and Pulaski's go into the, right into the edge of the fire. And then uh, there were like 91 fire trucks going from all over the state and even out of state. Uh, and they had over a thousand people. They had 11 helicopters going. Uh, it was an incredible, uh, coordination of a lot of agencies and people and manpower to save the homes that were close. They lost two homes, three houses in the whole incident, which is pretty amazing. That's remarkable. Yeah, because uh, down uh, Multnomah Falls Lodge, I just drove out. They just opened up I-84 just a few days ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is, what, the 26th of September, so yeah. they opened up that the 23rd. And I drove out to see what was happening, and certainly they saved, with 11 fire trucks and hook and ladders and everything, they saved Multnomah Falls Lodge. And you could see 
trees were really close. And mm-hmm. if they weren't dousing the roof and foaming it and everything else, the embers would have come right on onto there. And that's where it jumped the river over to the Archer Mountain. Yeah. So uh, it was just a scary thing to have so close to home. But luckily, we're safe. The studio's safe. And all our friends are back home with their horses and their goats and everything else that was evacuated. Have you ever experienced anything like that before? No, and it was a little surreal. Uh, a little? <laughs> yeah. A yeah. lot. And when they opened up uh, State Road uh, 14 over in Washington side, mm-hmm. my wife and I uh, traveled uh, from Vancouver over to Stevenson. Mm-hmm. And I was taking pictures across the river, and it's still, this was like eight, nine, ten days in, it was still raging and very scary. Uh, must have taken quite an emotional toll on you. It actually did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are, 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 you, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> but uh, it was, uh, at first, well, it's funny, because I had uh, one friend, he said, oh, I'm not going to worry about it, and he didn't evacuate or anything, and other friends were absolutely frightened. And, yeah. Uh, so, but the outpouring of clients and friends uh, offering places to stay, mm-hmm. help with packing out uh, was overwhelming to me and, and uh, certainly warmed my heart to see how people come together with those situations. And it gives you a, a much greater appreciation of uh, how lucky we are and how hard it must be for people in hurricanes and earthquakes and, and natural disasters. Huh. Was that something you had considered when you moved out there? Occasionally. I mean, uh, we certainly have fir trees right around our house, and the firemen's always saying, you know, you should cut them down within 90 feet of the house. And, yeah. And uh, it's always a, a trade-off as to, you know, you're living in beauty and in a forest, and a trade-off, do you want to cut them all down? It's it's really hard. So, yes, it has occasionally occurred to me. Hmm. But I have faith right now that uh, they, the resources available when a fire breaks out are pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Man. <laughs> what a thing to live through. Uh, well, again, I didn't live through much because it didn't... Uh, Again, we were totally unscathed. Yeah, but you lived through not knowing if, if, if you know, everything is going to be gone. I mean, everything in the studio, I mean, yeah, the, well, that's, you know, that's irreplaceable. Well, that's true, but uh, you reconcile what's important to you. Yeah. And I did, and I was right ready to live with if we had lost everything, as long as I had my photographs and uh-huh. certain microphones uh-huh. and uh, uh-huh. certainly... A, a healthy family that's yeah. the important thing to life. you find out what 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 what's what's really important right exactly wow jeez well i hope people learn that from you and not have to experience it <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> um so uh, uh but the other thing is it was not as intense as those who it was like yes a half a mile yeah. away right. and the fire trucks are coming and foaming their house and that's to me much more uh, traumatic, right? Than right. what I went through. 
Yeah, well, it's a, I think it's a matter of degree. Right. You know, somebody who's you know not right there. Uh, I don't think anybody would would want to trade for either of those. Yep, yep. Either what you went through or what they went through. Yeah. But no, it just gave me pause essentially. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it was not a traumatic experience in my life. Really? No. Huh. Well, good for you. Mm-hmm. Good for you. <laughs> you know, I mean, really. Right. Um, all right. Well. Um, so everything's still working at the, at the studio, right? <laughs> uh, yes, I had just installed a new uh, Pro, uh, Pro Tools uh, system. Uh-huh. Uh, every few years you have to upgrade. And yeah. I did a major upgrade to the newest, greatest Pro Tools, and it has lots of wires. And so when we <laughs> deinstalled it to get it into a van oh, geez. and then reinstalling it, it was just a few hours on either way, yeah. deinstalling and installing yeah. again. Yeah. But get, it was nice to have it back and everything tested out and working, and now we're back to work. So well, that's good. We did lose nine days of work. but Yeah, yeah. But it could have been much worse. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, okay, well, um, uh, the studio is, what, 17 years old now? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Going a long time. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, for anything in music to last that long. <laughs> well, there's a lot of change happening in the industry. And with uh, yeah. the clients that I have recently, uh, I'm almost not recommending that they make a CD. <laughs> really? Well, yeah, because uh, now it's there's a preponderance of people who are just Downloading and using streaming services. Right. And so if you're a local artist, certainly if you're signed with a label, uh, mm-hmm. a major international label, and we do have clients that are, then a CD is still uh, very much a part of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But for uh, local unsigned people who are just starting out or uh, developing their fan bases and locally based, uh, they don't tour a whole lot yeah. and so they might sell a CD or two at a gig but people want to download <laughs> they want to go to yeah. CD Baby or they want to go to Spotify or Apple Music or. but the music still has to be recorded yeah it absolutely does but yeah. to actually put it together into a CD and get the order we used to spend a whole lot of time yeah. getting the order and everything where people are downloading one song at a time usually mm-hmm uh, so it's difficult to say exactly which way it's going. There's a certain renaissance of vinyl, but it's not huge. Yeah. yeah. And when you see uh, of the actual CD uh, sales of even major artists are not what they were 20 years ago. Oh, not at all, yeah. yeah 15 yeah. years ago. Yeah. It's funny, there was, a, uh, there was a small resurgence of cassettes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, actually, a good cassette, they were very difficult to actually get good control uh-huh. in recording them. And uh, they had Dolby B, they had Dolby C, they had yeah. no Dolby. Right. Uh, and uh, the playback units were iffy at best. Uh, when a cassette was done right, it sounded fabulous. Very, <laughs> very good. And it's analog. Yeah. But uh, it was not very consistent. And, and our old friend Lisa Lapine had an 8-track in her car. <laughs> I did on uh, my uh, 61 Comet, which was did my you? first car. Yeah, hey. Absolutely. 
I wonder how many people know that, that Bill Lear, the Learjet guy, invented that. <laughs> um, yeah, I had heard that, and I hadn't yeah. heard it since you just said it <laughs> for probably about fifty years ago. Twenty years, <laughs> thirty, forty, fifty years. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I never, I never, I never got into eight tracks. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. It was, it was wrong. Something really wrong about eight tracks. <laughs> well, they had their place, and they came well, actually briefly. out of the use of carts in yeah. radio stations. Yes. Yeah. And uh, there was something good about that, that there was instant start as yeah. soon as you pushed it yeah. in. Yeah. And they sounded pretty good. I just had this image in my, in my head of sitting in a radio station with one of those, one of those, one of those racks mm-hmm. filled with carts spinning around, you know. <laughs> Well, it's interesting because uh, a quite well-known producer, uh, Ron Nevison, mm-hmm. uh, has recently been working at Big Red Studio, at my studio. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has wonderful stories because uh, he recorded anything, uh, artists from The Who to Hart mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Jefferson Starship to Rolling Stones to Joe Cocker. I mean, he's... Very well versed and uh, has a discography that goes on forever. He was talking about uh, when he was doing, uh, I believe, uh, what is Quadrophenia ah. by the uh, Who. Mm-hmm. And uh, Peter Townsend would have different sound effects and he would have lots of synth things. And the only way they could mix it was putting him on radio carts. Really? Yeah. And so while they were doing a mix, uh, they'd be throwing in a cart here for a sound effect and another cart here. So That's funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And for any of your listeners don't know, a cart is uh, was about the size of an 8-track cartridge. Yeah. And most people yeah. don't even know what that is. No. They look like uh, internal hard drives. Right. Uh, about the size of an internal hard drive for a PC. And they would have quarter-inch tape, and uh, an eight-track would have, I believe, uh, four sides uh, (laughs) that you go. It would go front and back and front and back, each using two tracks and everything. (laughs) And a cart machine was in radio stations, and they had quarter-inch tape. So if they had an ad that was 30 seconds long, they would put that on a quarter-inch tape. They could put it in the cart machine and exactly uh, have it queued up and push a button, and it would... Come on instantly. Yes, indeed. Yep. Did that many times. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. You should tell me about it. I should interview you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was one of those. I'm a, I'm a radio station rat. Okay. I love being in radio stations. And you say you're still DJing. I never met a mic I didn't like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so who, who have you had in there recently? Well, recently, uh, Ron Nevison has been working with a woman named Tess Barr, and uh-huh. it's sort of a rock and roll, really hard-hitting rock and roll. Um, let's see, we've had Paul Schoenlaub. He's a wonderful singer, sort of a cross between Roy Arbison and Neil Young. Wow. He lives outside of Silverton. He had a long, uh, oh, 20 years he was doing bluegrass, but he had been harboring these musical ideas for years, so he's made sort of a... It's a cross between old country, it has a little tinges of 50s rock, 
and then much more uh, modern country songs, and uh, they're, they're pretty wonderful. So that's been an extensive project. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do two or three projects a year for David Rovix, who is a uh, political singer-songwriter. If mm. there's any incident that happens in the world, he's writing a song about it, <laughs> uh, and he is so prolific. He goes to Europe a whole lot. Yeah, He's on tour there now. And we did a project uh, this year, and it was just he playing an electric cello, his guitar singing, and me on a violin. And it was uh, kind of a fun project. Uh-huh. So uh, there's a list of lots of other things. I <laughs> can't think of them at the moment. So do you play the violin or the fiddle? Uh, <laughs> well, people ask, what's the difference between the violin and the fiddle? Well, the violin you carry in a case and a fiddle in a flower sack, and that's the only thing. Other people say the violin has been to college. Uh, it's actually just how you play it. Some fiddlers uh, will make their bridge a little uh, not quite as art, so it's easier to play double strings. Mm-hmm. Uh, often fiddlers will use uh, steel, uh, uh, steel strings as opposed to gut or nylon cord strings, uh, which gives it a uh, somewhat of a different sound. But it's essentially how you play it. How do you play it? How do I play? Yeah. Uh, I'm sort of a mixture. <laughs> <laughs> I just have my own style, uh, a lyrical style, and mm-hmm. uh, it grew out of my work with uh, Night Noise and other things. But it's a blend mm-hmm. of little... Pieces of jazz, little pieces of rock, little pieces of blues, little mm-hmm. pieces of classical. I mm-hmm. had a lot of classical background. Mm-hmm. So I just have my own style. And uh, I don't pretend to be a fiddler, although I can play three bluegrass tunes. <laughs> uh, and I can play three old-time tunes and uh, yeah. that kind of thing. <laughs> um, so did, did you, have you considered yourself more a, an engineer or a, or a musician? Well, I got into the engineering as being a musician uh-huh. uh, because my band grew out of my studio. The studio grew out of the band. So they came sort of uh, in the 80s. Uh-huh. It, it became sort of half and half all the way through to the mid or till mid-90s. And then I quit uh, the band and I uh, sent my son off to college. I married my... <laughs> Uh, present wife and ha- uh, bought our land out in the gorge mm-hmm. and decided to build a studio and um, so since about 1995 when I had a studio in Portland and then mm-hmm. 2000 when I had uh, opened the studio in the gorge uh, it's been pretty much full time being a producer engineer mm-hmm. and during the summer I uh, play uh, down to the Oregon Country Fair, and I sort of regain being a violinist uh, for yeah. a couple of weeks. Yeah. And I play maybe three, four concerts a year with uh, Jim Page, the singer-songwriter in, mm-hmm. up in Seattle, who's also a political singer-songwriter, and I love playing with him. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's uh, so mostly mostly you're an engineer, a producer now, right? You, 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 I would you say, say yeah, that's yeah. my primary gig now. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, did you? How did you learn to? How did you? How did you? How did you learn these things? Well, my background was as a classical violinist, so yeah. I studied violin and chamber music, mm-hmm. and then uh, after getting my master's degree. I came to Oregon uh, teaching at Mount Angel College, which is a small mm-hmm. liberal arts college. Mm-hmm. 
just west of Salem, east of Salem, excuse me. And I did that for a couple of years, and I was helping everyone else get their musical stuff together. And I said, uh, I want to get my own stuff together. Yeah. So I really uh, hit the woodshed, and I caught the recording bug ah. big time. Ah. I first had a little uh, quarter-inch reel-to-reel deck, and <laughs> it would have sound on sound. So I would record one violin on one track, listening to it, and record a second violin and and stack up three or four or five violins uh-huh. and uh, write pieces. And then uh, as I... Now, what kind of material was that? Uh, original things. I started writing music just that were a blend of the kinds of music that I'd heard. Uh-huh. Uh, everything from uh, Bach to the Beatles and, yeah. and beyond. Gotcha. And... Uh, <clears throat> Then I got a four-track tape recorder and an eight-track tape recorder. <laughs> and and uh, when I had the eight-track tape recorder, I uh, was playing early jazz with Everything's Jake in Portland. Yeah. At the Brasserie Montmartre. Uh, <clears throat> and definitely playing anywhere I could. For about uh, the time I was 17, the time I was 33, no one ever saw me without my violin over my shoulder. And wow. there wasn't a day that I didn't play. Ah. So it was a huge part of me, and if uh, somebody was playing music, I'd join in to jam, yeah. whatever. Uh, so anyway, in the 80s, I, uh, it sort of just happened that uh, I met this wonderful uh, guitarist, uh, Michal O'Donnell, from mm-hmm. uh, Ireland, and he and I started a partnership when I got my first 8-track tape recorder, mm. and it ended up that... Uh, we had a record that got signed by Wyndham Hill Records, mm-hmm. and uh, all of a sudden a band evolved out of that. And as the band became successful and I earned money, I invested in more recording What equipment. band was that? Night Noise. Okay. Yeah. And <clears throat> so the, our band, Night Noise, grew out of my studio, and the mm-hmm. studio grew out of the out of the band yeah yeah and so it went from two track to four track to eight track to 24 track to uh now 24 track and unlimited tracks of digital yeah (laughs) and when it was fashionable to go to a large studio to do your recording i was recording at home Uh and then when it became fashionable for people to have their own studios I built a uh, big red <laughs> studio, so I like to book the t- trends if I can. Contr- an audio contrarian. Uh, I think so. <laughs> Great. Um, why did you decide uh, 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 to make it analog? Why did you decide to put an analog studio together? Well, analog was, uh, the whole time it was a night noise, we only had analog. Yeah. And then as digital came in, it didn't sound very good. Uh-huh. So I stayed with analog uh, and sort of went to the digital Pro Fools uh, <laughs> uh, by probably 2006, but I was mm-hmm. kicking and screaming all the way. Yeah. And I still love projects that uh, at least originate. If we're doing a band, we'll do our drums, bass, uh, keyboards, and rhythm parts analog and then transfer them over to digital for overdubs and mixing. Huh. Because uh, hmm. analog still has a depth and a warmth to the sound that uh, still, to me, is not duplicated by uh, digital. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I, I can't not have, I can't have you here and not and not tell, uh, ask you to tell me about the board because it's famous. Oh, the console at yeah. my studio. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a Trident TSM console, uh-huh. and Trident was a studio in England, uh-huh. and uh, they had a couple boards there that everyone loved, and other people asked them to start making them. And they made them, and it became a, a worldwide known brand. Mm-hmm. And the particular board I had uh, originated in the Bay Area, and it was bought originally by Jose Feliciano, mm-hmm. and then he had a divorce. His wife got it. He sold it to a famous studio in the early uh, 80s, late 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, the board was built, I think, about 1979. Mm-hmm. In 1980, it went to the Automat in San Francisco, Mm. and uh, there it cut hits with Santana and Jefferson Starship and many, many more artists. Uh, And uh, then my friend Paul Stubblebine, a mastering engineer in the Bay Area, uh, when I was building Big Red, said that that board was available. And so it has a long history, and it's served us very well. Yeah. It's warm and big, and mm-hmm. that mean, does that mean something to a musician when they come in there to to, to know that, that that board has been used? Well, yeah. When uh, like we take Ron Nevison, this producer, he yeah, had, it was like an old friend because uh, ah. you know in 1983, I think he had used that console uh-huh. uh, down uh, recording Jefferson Starship, <laughs> and then uh, occasionally uh, people who. Uh, were in different bands actually will email me and say oh I'm wonderful that that console is still still working I mean I mean other people young younger people uh, when when they find out that you know the history of, of that console is it, is it meaningful uh, it depends on how young yeah. Yeah. I mean some people uh, you know Santana doesn't mean much to them yeah uh, yeah but then there's others that uh, Certainly, they do. But once they hear it, then yeah. they're convinced. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, you, are, are there some uh, CDs coming out uh, any, anytime soon that have been recorded at your place? Well, let's see. We've been working with Paul Schoenlaub. That should yeah. happen soon. Yeah. Although, again, I'm looking at is the CD the medium anymore for yeah. uh, in, uh, for independent artists that are only locally or regionally based? Uh, where now people are using streaming services and they're using downloads. And uh, the CD sales have really dropped. And I can't recommend for regional artists uh, to, say, print a 1,000 CDs, which was sort of the norm over the last 15 years. Uh, if if uh, 800 of them or 850 of them are going to be under in their closet, uh, because people are buying do- downloads right, right. and streaming it. So anyway, think, but the projects gonna, that are coming out are... What, but, what do you think is going to happen? You know, um, I should ask you, Tom, what do you think uh, is no, going to happen? Fuck if I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it would be an interesting topic to maybe get three or four or five people here at yeah, the coffee shop. Yeah, we only shop. have two mics. Well, we can we can figure that out. We'll bring you a little board got, or something. I got two inputs here. We'll bring you a little board, or we could do it even in the studio, uh, and have a little roundtable. 
discussion about that. Yeah. Yeah, it seems to be, you know, a, a dilemma that no one has an answer for. Uh, and the thing is, okay, so if, 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 if you if sort of give in and say that streaming and downloading is, is what's going to be the norm, mm-hmm. nothing stays the norm. <laughs> That's you true. Know? That's true. And the other thing is that a lot of people prized album art. I'm not sure what's going to happen yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've hardly had any album art since since CDs. I mean, really. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's true. I small, use yeah. small stuff. Although you can have good booklets. And you can have good booklets, but it's still a booklet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you can't clean dope in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which was one of the great things about a double album cover. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> Sometimes I go back into my record collection and I say, I wonder if there's any dope in these. In these. Uh, <laughs> there could be. <laughs> Well, it's it's okay because they could they could come in and look and and it's legal now. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, well, listen, we're all very very happy that you've survived. Oh, I'm happy too. <laughs> I know you're happy. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but there's lots of people who who are also very happy and and may not even know that you had gone through this unless you're Facebook friends with you like I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, uh, I, I really appreciate you coming in and uh, and telling your story. It's like you know, very happy that you that, that everything everything survived, including you. Well, thank you, and Tom. the cats, and your wife. Yes, yeah, all doing well, and yeah. the studio is going gangbusters. So. Well, that's great. Yep, that's great. Thanks for coming in. 